So don't be afraid of fear. It's a fantasy. You've probably heard fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. It's a nightmare. It's all made up. What are you afraid of? I don't know. That's the point. You're doing it to yourself. A little part of what we don't know is about the world around us and other people and what might happen out there. But the vast majority of what we don't know is in here. We do need situational awareness to be fearless. But much more importantly, we need expanded self-awareness. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hey, everybody, and uh, welcome to this week's episode of Wisdom of the Soul, presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm Michael Benner. You can find out more, by the way, about the work I do, particularly the uh, private intensives, by going to my primary website, michaelbenner.com. I should probably mention this more. You can schedule free of charge and without any obligation at all an introductory telephone session, or Zoom. We usually use the telephone, but Zoom, whatever works for you. And uh, we'll spend 30 or 40 minutes just chatting, and you can find out what you think I might be able to do for you, and then I'll give you a sense in the same way of what I think I might be able to do for you. Working a lot with anxiety disorders, but... um, all forms of problem-solving, decision-making, goal-setting, and emotional intelligence. We work primarily with self-awareness. So if you want to check that out, michaelbenner.com, and poke around in there. There's a lot of cool stuff. The podcast page, for example, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School podcast, which is basically an edited version of this class, although we have well over 500 episodes for uh, over 14 years for you to explore. And uh, there's a reading list on that page. And you might want to check my media page out someday. And there's a page about my book, Fearless Intelligence, and a lot of cool stuff. So today we're going to talk about finding hidden stress. And as I was mentioning just before we started the recorder, I really wanted to call it finding hidden fear. But fear is a frightening word. So I called it finding hidden stress so it wouldn't scare too many people off. And I do have some detractors who over the years like the bulk of what I teach and and what I have to offer, but they're irritated that uh, according to them, I focus on fear so much. And why do you keep talking about fear? Why are you obsessed on fear? And of course, it's because 
It's the enemy. It's the only enemy. It's, as Roosevelt said, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. And what an irony, fearing fear. It sort of suggests a vicious cycle, doesn't it? Or a loop where that fear of fear amplifies your fear and becomes greater and greater. Uh, the dynamic is actually fear and ignorance, because ignorance or confusion or uncertainty is the source of our anxiety and our fear. But ironically, sadly, feeling that fear confuses us even more. It creates more uncertainty, more ignorance. I hate to use the word, but there are not a whole lot of words for ignorance or, or confusion or uncertainty, lack of awareness, misunderstanding. Gosh, that, that lack of knowledge, uh, lack of insight. Notice lack of, lack of. We have lots of words for knowledge and few words for the absence of knowledge. In other words, stress and anxiety, fear, whatever term we use for it, it shatters awareness and makes us stupid, which is scary, which makes us more confused and more frightened and more ignorant and <laughs> more anxious, and around and around it goes like a big whirlwind. And that vicious cycle is what we find ourselves stuck in. And it feels like our fears are holding on to us, and we're stuck in that cycle but actually we're holding on to it. And when it comes to finding our hidden stresses, our hidden fears and anxieties, so as to liberate ourselves and be free and be ever more intelligent and, and insightful, we have to follow the fear. We have to find it. Not only when it's big and overwhelming, how do I deal with all this anxiety and all this stress and all this confusion and things unknown. Not just the big stuff, but there's enormous value in dealing with the most subtle apprehension, nervousness. No, I'm just a little nervous, that's all. Um, or how about this one? Men in particular. Well, I'm not afraid, certainly. Uh, I do have my concerns. Well, what the hell? What's the difference? Just a little bit of concern is just a little bit of fear. Let's call it what it is. I wanted to call the class today, follow the spiders. <laughs> but I, I didn't think anybody would understand. So I'll explain it. There's a wonderful scene in one of the Harry Potter books and, and movies. I saw it in the movie where... Um, Following Hagrid's advice, Harry and Ron go into this deep, dark, scary forest, which is, you know, in the monomyth, always a uh, allegory for exploring your own fear and confusion. And uh, Ron gets sort of confused and says to Harry, you know, as I recall it, he's not really sure where to go. And Harry reminds him that Hagrid said, follow the spiders. And they cut to a picture of a wall of spiders all marching <laughs> deeper and deeper into the cave, the cavern, or the, or the dark forest, I think it was. 
And uh, so Harry's got the lantern, and he's off following the spiders, and Ron just stands there for a second, and he goes, follow the spiders, follow the spiders. Why can it never be follow the butterflies? That's You know, I know exactly what J.K. Rowling is going for. That's such a beautiful allegory. What happened to follow your bliss? What happened to follow your love? Be the love you're looking for and all of that. How ironic that we have to follow our fear to find our love and then follow that. And then we get knocked off track because something happens because life is always changing, in flux, impermanent. And so here comes another fear, which is just a feeling that goes with things unknown. Fear has nothing to do with danger. Nothing to do with danger. Fear is how it feels to be confused, to be uncertain, to not know. And that suggests the antidote would be understanding. And how are you going to understand it but by finding it and exploring it? That's our class today. That's what we're going to talk about today. Well, don't be afraid of fear. It's a fantasy. You've probably heard fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. It's a nightmare. It's all made up. What are you afraid of? I don't know. That's the point. You're doing it to yourself. A little part of what we don't know is about the world around us and other people and what might happen out there. But the vast majority of what we don't know is in here. We do need situational awareness to be fearless. But much more importantly, we need expanded self-awareness. Not just coping skills, but an identity of one who finds fear, stress, anxiety, and then follows the spiders and the dragons and the demons into the depths of your unconscious and be the light that illumines. And then you understand, and then you're free from fear, and then your understanding expands and your peace of mind expands and you get smarter and more peaceful. Now it's an upward spiral, don't you see? And this is where our happiness comes from. That's why I obsess on fear. <laughs> so I can eliminate it. So I can become fearless again and again and again. It's, a, it's not a destination. It's a process. So with that, Let's do a little meditation. What is that but a stress reduction exercise? So get comfortable wherever you are in a chair, sitting on a sofa or your bed, meditation pillow. Close your eyes. And three, his eyes open. Open your eyes now, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed. Come on back. Feeling fine, feeling better than before. Back in the room. And another big breath. I like to, I don't know about you, but I like to stretch a little bit. Gently stomp the floor. Bounce in your chair. And sort of get back in your body. All right. Follow the spiders. I mean, what if you knew there's really nothing to be afraid about? What's going to happen? What's the ultimate fear? 
there are there's a lot of research on this. There are uh, the Wallace Book of Lists, most famously, has a whole long sheet of what people fear. Uh, the first fear is not death. I think death comes in number eight. The greatest fear is what I'm doing right now, public speaking. <laughs> that is routinely the most terrifying thing that anybody can do. Most of us are just terrified by what other people might think of us or feel as if that matters. And what do you care what they think? I think the way I dealt with this as a public speaker early in my life, and then uh, a news guy on the radio, and then a commentator and talk show guy on the radio, was to remind myself up front that I was not. <laughs> there was no way in hell that I was going to please everybody. In fact, I found a certain amount of comfort in displeasing a lot of people, upsetting them. Because if I could rock somebody back on their heels, I mean, and do it in a diplomatic way with kindness and insight, maybe you got to push people a little bit, you know. I mean, the radio talk shows were, after all, a show. It is a show. So there is that. But I didn't eviscerate too many people unless they really got hostile and their promotion of war or hatred or racism or misogyny or some form of bigotry and promoting fear. Then sometimes I would go for the throat rhetorically. But uh, we did have our share of death threats. That's how frightened these people were of speech. We see that a lot of that today. So many of us are afraid to speak, to upset. For example, for most people, it's enough to know I am not a racist. Well, I don't think that's enough. You need to be a dedicated, devoted anti-racist. You know, it's not enough to say, well, I'm not a fascist. I, I, I'm not interested in authoritarian uh, tyranny and Nazi ideology and white supremacy. Yeah, but are you a, a devoted anti-fascist? Are you committed, as our fathers and grandfathers were, in World War II, to opposing fascism. Imagine what they would think if they saw what was happening on the right. And we can disagree about what appear to be politics or culture wars. The left and the right, there's so much room in the middle to be contrary and complicated and contradictory. That's not the problem that we disagree. The problem is that sometimes particularly in this authoritarian element, there's a resorting to violence. It's the violence that should concern us. Without violence, we can disagree till the cows come home. Who cares? So what? Viva la difference. I, fight for, I disagree with you, but I fight for your right to say it. That kind of stuff, right? So let the racists be a racist, and they can scream and shout their racist platitudes and 
But the violence, that's where we have to draw the line. And uh, all the guns tend to be held by one one group of people, the highly self-centered, but moreover, extremely fearful people. That's how you avoid getting political when you look at current events. You see the fear in others, but also in yourself. Now again, when we find hidden fear, that's our topic today, finding our hidden stress. Call it fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, nervousness. It's all stress. It's all fear. It's one thing to deal with stress and anxiety when it's big and overwhelming. And you know you need to do something beyond have another beer. Or smoke another doobie. Or stop watching the news or whatever. It's going to find you. Your uncertainty, your confusion... Uh, it's going to find you. Most of us are so hardwired that we have this pre-existing disposition to be frightened, and then we go looking for reasons to justify it. And then we play a little game with ourselves that, well, this is the reason I'm afraid. No, you were afraid before you discovered the reason. So check that out. But my appeal today is go beyond the big, overwhelming, obvious fears and stresses and sources of anxiety in your life and begin to look at the subtle, the hidden stress in just feeling off, for example. You wake up and you just don't feel right. Or even in the middle of the day or late in the day, you realize... I don't know, I'm off somehow. Something's not right. And what do we do with that? Usually we take it into the brain and cogitate and think about an emotion. When did that ever do any good? Thinking about what you feel, thinking about the way you feel, thinking about why you feel the way you feel. You don't use your feelings to solve math problems or science and technology, why would you do the reverse? Why would you use reasoning and logic and analysis to try to discern the subjective? Well, we do it because nobody's ever taught us any other way. What does it mean to feel a feeling? To move your awareness down into your body and listen and look in a quiet, calm open, receptive way to the voice of the soul. This class is called the wisdom of the soul. It has a voice. It speaks to you through your intuition, that still, small voice. You see, fear shouts. Wisdom whispers. So you have to calm yourself down to get to the insight. What is bothering me? Why... I'm not afraid. There's not any big danger. I look around. Everything seems to be okay. Could be better, but it's pretty okay in my life. Why do I feel so irritable? Why am I grumpy? Why am I taking it out on the people around me? Why do I project? 
And when you use deep relaxation, contemplation, meditation, just sitting outside when the sun goes down and being quiet, just breathing and relaxing and opening yourself to the non-logical, not illogical, but the non-logical nature of intuition. Listen for the whisper. It'll tell you why you feel this subtle irritation. <laughs> and often as not, you'll be amazed. And if you repeat the process, if you make it a practice, you'll get better and better and better at it like anything else. And you'll begin to recognize how the mind works. Especially those intrusive thoughts that are petitioning you for your attention. And all along you thought that was thinking. And you called it thinking. But the truth is we're a victim of thinking. This is not task-related, purposeful, deliberate thought. We're talking about the intrusive noise when your thinking is unrelated to a particular task. And we think it's us. It's not you. It's, <laughs> it's garbage from your unconscious. A lot of false assumptions from your childhood. A lot of hurt and pain that you never really reconciled, never really understood. Screaming out for understanding. But maybe you don't know that those feelings, those voices, are from 20, 30, 40 years ago. You don't recognize them. You think, I'm irritated now, and there's only one person around me, my spouse, or some other member of my family, or maybe it's the people at work that you end up blaming. It's not them. Remember we've talked about in classes where we've done emotional intelligence, this idea that somebody pokes you with a long bony finger, you may find that irritating. You may find it playful. But if they suddenly poke you where you have a pre-existing bruise, and it only hurts when you touch it there, ow, oh, and they poke you there, you will proclaim, ow, you hurt me. And that's frightening, and it generates anger, and sometimes even hatred, without any understanding that all they did was poke you in a place that you were already hurt. Don't blame them. Heal yourself. Take ownership of the hurt. And I tell my clients and my students, over and over, make it about you. And they look at me like, oh, you're telling me I'm to blame? I want to talk a little about defensiveness, too. We did a class on <laughs> defensiveness a few weeks ago. I want to touch on that. That's another source of hidden fear, hidden stress. Oh, so I should blame myself. It's all my fault. Is that what you're saying? And I said, no, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. It's your hurt. Just because somebody stimulated your hurt, whether it's a long, bony finger or a careless statement. Yeah, maybe it was a stupid thing to say. Maybe it was thoughtless. But this is somebody in your family. This is somebody who you live with. This is a 
dear friend of yours for years and years and years. Those are the people that are most likely to hurt us. And suddenly they become the enemy. We have to be accountable, responsible to recognize our emotions, and fear is a primary emotion, as our response. So what is fear by any name? What is it a response to? What is the common link? What is the thread that runs through all of our anxieties and stresses and fears? It's a response to not understanding. <laughs> yeah, nothing to do with danger. That's what fear is. So wouldn't the antidote be to to understand? Ralph Waldo Emerson, knowledge is the antidote to fear. I wish he had said understanding is the antidote to fear because understanding is superior to knowledge. Anybody can know things, but do you understand them? But I don't want to pick nits with Ralph Waldo Emerson. I'm an Emerson freak. I, th I think he's an incredible guy, major contribution to humanity, to our culture. Self-reliance is what he's all about. There's a 2,000-year-old saying, some ancient Greek I've what was his name? I think I think they call him Livy or Livy, L-I-V-Y, from like 2,000 or more years ago. And he said, we fear things in direct proportion to our ignorance of them. That's all fear is. So let's get hip to the trick. If it's just a feeling that goes with not understanding something, wouldn't you want to understand it? Wouldn't you want to follow the spiders? and wade into the scariest parts with a desire uh, and insistence to know and understand, not the world around you, to know and understand yourself and the mind games that you play, because all your fears are fantasies. They're nightmares. They're delusions made in your brain of what you do not understand. And if that's not a call for understanding, and if that doesn't flesh out the meaning of love and consciousness, then nothing will for you. That's what it means to love. To understand, love your enemy. What in the world does love your enemy mean? Don't ask a Christian. Most of them have no idea what love your enemy means. It just means to understand them. It doesn't mean to be reckless and turn your back and give them what they want to steal or allow them to harm you or anything stupid like that. It's not what love your enemy means. It means to get hip, understand what's going on here. Have some compassion for their fear and their suffering. Because the only thing that is as dangerous as your fear and your ignorance is the fear born of ignorance in others. And they mirror us. And that's what happens when people argue. And that's what happens when people threaten each other. And we build an industry, a war industry, nearly $800 billion this year alone on war, based on the simple concept that we think fear is done to us. We think our lives are done to us.
We're victims of a life that's flowing through us and, and out into the world. But we turn it on its head and see it is coming to us, at us. He made me feel that way. Well, she made me feel. They made me feel. Well, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't be feeling this way. Nonsense. Stop it. Just, just stop it. Turn, turn it around. Take some ownership, some responsibility. You're not to blame, especially if nobody ever explained this material to you. And there are a few people doing it. Thank God there are many women and men who've devoted their life to teaching this stuff, but it's not easy to teach. And those of us who, who do teach it have to be in the middle of it ourselves. I have to, I have to know what I'm talking about. I, I didn't read this in a book. I got this from exploring my own fears. And I've had, fortunately, very few big, enormous fears. But early on, for whatever reason, I became fascinated by the most subtle fears. Why am I in a funky mood? I'm not afraid. I can't really call it fear. But there's some anxiety there. There's something that's confusing me. There's something I I just don't quite understand. And playing victim never helped me. Figuring out other people, obsessing on them, trying to control them, threaten them, explain them to themselves. You know what you're doing and you know what you do and you want me to tell you who you are? Whew, boy, what a waste of time. The Greeks said it thousands of years ago, know thyself. No Greek philosopher <laughs> ever said, know other people, figure them out and explain to them what they're doing wrong. That is not a wisdom. In the East, the same, the same profound truth was extant. Confucius, one who knows others is wise, one who knows himself is enlightened or herself. Wise to know others, enlightened to know thyself. If not you, who? Who's going <laughs> to... You need to be understood. You're a magnificent being. You can't rely on other people to figure you out and explain it to you. So you're going to have to do it. And why don't we? Well, because it's unknown and therefore scary. What if I discover the critics in my life are right? What if I find out that my parents were right. I am bad. I'm a bad boy. The word rotten was used in my house. You're rotten. Well, where I grew up, there were a lot of fruit orchards, and I knew what rotten meant. is when you throw the fruit away. Children take language literally. I didn't think that my behavior was bad, but I was loved. I didn't think my behavior was rotten, but I'm okay. I thought, I am bad. I am rotten. And then you repress that, and you forget that you made this false assumption, that you accepted the lie as a child, and spend the rest of your life projecting on other people for making you feel that way, don't you see? So, yeah, we can handle the big overwhelming fear. I don't know what to do. I'm just, well, what to do is understand it, wade into the middle of it. But I'm encouraging us today to explore the most subtle, as in defensiveness, for example. 
it is so amazing when you drop defensiveness, just stop it. Just refuse to defend yourself. Take the hit. That's the way they feel. That was probably a cruel thing for them to say. At the very least, it was thoughtless and uh, insensitive. And yes, it hurt you. But just don't say anything. And then turn and say, how did they get the power to hurt me like that? Could it be that I gave them the power by virtue of not knowing the truth about me? And if I understood me, then they would have no power. They could say whatever they wanted, and I'd know the truth. <laughs> You'd chuckle at them. They're screaming at you about what a horrible person you are. But no, you know better. So there's no defensiveness. You give it up. In fact, you turn, you go the rest of the way to compassion for their suffering. You see? Work on forgiving them and being merciful and understanding how tormented they are that they would talk to you that way. That they would want to try to hurt you to demonstrate your involvement in their hurt. This is not deep, profound psychology. This is pretty straightforward, right? Give up defensiveness. Despair is another one. Hopelessness. Fixating on the future. The reason mindfulness is so important and its emphasis on the present moment is it's the only thing that's real and free from fear. The more you think about the future, because it is unknown, and remember, what did we say fear, stress, anxiety is? Not understanding. So you look to the future. You don't know what's, what the future is going to bring. So you're just asking for it. It's going to be full of fear and apprehension and worry and doubt and nervousness and uncertainty. It's the future. And you wonder why you're stressing out. It's your fixation on the future. And the past, I just mentioned the past, the fear of the past, is all the old stuff that you never did understand. You never did figure it out. Why? Because you're a little kid. You don't have the capacity, the, the, the insight, the comprehension, the understanding. You don't even have the vocabulary. I often think of a charming story my friend told me many years ago about his daughter in the back seat as he and his wife and his little girl were driving to the beach in Los Angeles. And they were in the Glendale area, so it was a pretty good drive across town. And their daughter is maybe four years old, and she's in the back seat, maybe five years old. And they're driving, and they're driving, and they're driving, and still not at the beach. And at one point, she, pop, she, she pipes up, and she says, How do you guys know where you're going? And it reminds me of my childhood and sitting in the back seat of the car, having no idea where we are, having no idea where we're going. And how different is that from the adults we've become? To what extent do we still not know where we are or where we're going or very much at all, even about where we've been? So when you fix that on the past, it's going to be full of things you never understood 
That's fear. That's stress, anxiety. The future, obviously, is full of it. So only when you come into the reality of an eternal, infinite, always unfolding, in each nanosecond, new again, present moment, are you likely to be able to adopt an attitude of fearlessness? Because you're right here, right now. That's your point of power. I remember reading that in a Seth book when I was 22 or 23 years old. Seth Speaks. You ever heard of Jane Roberts? The transmedium. Seth said, your point of power is now. It hit me so hard I had to put the book down. It still occurs to me just how incredibly profound that is. And I didn't know anything about Eastern philosophy and Buddhism and uh, Eckhart Tolle and the power of now and the only thing that's real is the present moment and nobody would ever heard of mindfulness, but that was my first exposure to it. My power is now. That's where I put my feet. That's where you plant your feet. If you want to lift the world and you need a lever, where do you put your fulcrum? Where does the lever get its power from the fulcrum? Here, now, not in the past, not in the future. And even if you explore your past or plan your future, do it from now. Don't get lost in the fantasy. Your brain doesn't know the difference. You review the past, the brain thinks you're there. You review the future, the brain will go there and think it's real. Hell, you watch a movie on TV, your brain thinks it's real. Your conscious mind knows the difference, but the brain doesn't know. The unconscious mind doesn't care. It's real enough. Be careful where you put your mind. Defensiveness, despair, a lot of hidden stress and despair and hopelessness. Don't limit yourself to thinking fear is only big, overwhelming, terrifying. Freaking out, oh my God, it's also in the subtlest of irritations, the most slight frustration. Any confusion or discontent is a good word. First noble truth in Buddhism is life is suffering, you shall know suffering. People say, I'm not suffering. Well, the problem is the translation. Maybe discontent. Why are you discontent? How often do we really feel like we've arrived at a peaceful state of contentment and satisfaction? And how about this? Fulfillment. Have you ever felt fulfilled? Like, I'm done. I've arrived. Yeah, I've got a to-do list. Really need to change the oil in the car one of these days. <laughs> Putting that off too long. Got to get that done. Uh, there's a few things, you know. I got to order that odd light bulb. Got to get to that, and we got to remember to order that light bulb. It's always going to be a few of those things, right? There is no there there with those kinds of things. 
but I'm talking in the larger sense, feeling on track. The way you feel in nature, okay? The way you feel or should feel ideally when you just sit and uh, watch the sun go down, watch Venus come out. That's what I've been doing the last few nights, just watching Venus. I try to get out there before I can see it. And then, oh, there, I saw it. And then in the next 45 minutes, Venus gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And then the stars start coming out. And then my uh, solar lamps pop on <laughs> around the yard. I set aside that hour. I try to. There's many, many nights I don't get to do that because I get confused and I think I'm busy and that I have more important things to do than tend to my peace of mind. I've got nobody to blame but me for that. Check out the subtle stuff. Be curious. Be interested. Be fascinated. Why am I not content? Why am I not fulfilled? What is gnawing at me? What is, no, it's not fear, but it's just a very subtle form of not knowing, right? And as you get masterful at exposing, unmasking, understanding what's going on with these very subtle irritations and frustrations, the hidden stress and fear in our lives, you become a wizard when it comes to the big stuff. So I can handle this. I, I I can handle all of this and all of this and all of this. This is just a bigger form. I, I can do it. We'll, we'll get through this one step at a time. We'll break it down into bite-sized pieces. We'll get through this. Right? Sometimes you have to be the parent or the partner that you've always wanted and do for yourself what you needed other people to do for you. And... If you feel you could benefit from someone just just once putting their hand on your shoulder, looking you in the eye and saying gently, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. We got you. Do that for yourself. You can, you know. You can. You're fine. Everything's okay. It really is. <laughs> 